0: Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn. That's me, OTB, where we put out this great podcast, if I don't say so myself, each week on the world's game, but from an American perspective. Because, you know, I'm an American. I played the game in America and abroad, actually. But each week, I talk about my experiences and my perspective on the game. And I'm joined each week by the two lovely and talented co uh media executive Grail Hallett, an OTB producer and soccer journalist, and obsessed Syria, odd disciple, Sam Griswold, two good players in their own day as well. And in Grant's uh, case, well, that goes way, way back. Uh, so guys, today, our guest on OTB, we love having this guy on, Grant Wall is one of the world's leading soccer journalists, as well as the host of a great podcast. So we catch up with Grant Wall every few weeks to grab his perspective on this beautiful game, and he has an American perspective as well. All right, guys, so a lot going on Champions League, talk of Super League, goals bursting at the seams in domestic leagues, and um, so a lot to talk about today. But before we get started, what are we going to talk uh, – what are we over today on Over the Ball? Grail? Well, I'm over being negative for one podcast. And
1: oh, instead, shut up. No, and instead, <laughs> instead, happy, happy 80th birthday, Pele.
0: Today oh, is 80th. Pele's God 80th
1: birthday. And all I can say is my favorite player of all time. I still think he's the greatest of all time. And I still think he's the person that's contributed more to the game than any other player past, present, or probably future. So happy birthday, Pele.
0: Wow. Yeah. We all, we all I wish you that one, Pele. Um Like I said, I've we told the story a couple of weeks ago. I met him a a bunch of times and he has one of those absolutely electric smiles. And for all the abuse he took as a player, though getting whacked and just was never, you know, never got mean spirited about it. Uh, So uh, he's an inspiration. And I tell you what, you ask 80% of Americans to name a soccer player today. Guess who they say? Yeah, Pele.
1: Well, I just quickly, <laughs> Flenny. I, I I had dinner with him at our when I worked at Sports Illustrated at our oh, forty fortieth anniversary celebration, and I sat between Pele and his wife. And uh, fast forward, that was nineteen. Um, that was like mid nineties. Uh
0: huh. And
1: then I saw him at uh, the Women's World Cup in ninety nine, and stood in line at a Mastercard event, and went up to get a picture taken, and he remembered me.
0: Oh my goodness. You're kidding me. He said, he
1: said, he said, Grail, my friend from sports illustrated. And I was with a friend of mine who was dumbfounded because (laughs) Pele approached me and gave me a hug. And he's like, why is Pele hugging Grail? (laughs) That's the way he is though. That's
0: that's amazing. That's great. That's great. I was in a, a nightclub in Boston when you're in my friend and there was a, a woman dancing in a cage up there and he goes, Oh my God, look at that woman. I I'm in love with this woman. She dances every Friday night here. And uh, you know, it was just like a go-go dancer in a cage and all of a sudden the cage came down and the girl, the cage opened up and the girl gave me a big hug. I'd gone to college with him. And he's like, <laughs> wow, that was amazing. <laughs> but your story is much, much better, much better. So uh, yeah, uh, a great, great person. So uh, the best of Pelé. That, was that his wife who, he married the Pope. Married them, I think. Rose. Yeah, or? I. She was lovely. She was a little bit younger than he was.
1: was very quiet. And uh, again, I, I, you know, I mean, I'm. I sat next to Pelle for two hours over dinner and made small talk with him. I mean, I, I was. <laughs> well,
0: that's the only kind of talk you can make. Right? <laughs> exactly. 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 <laughs> uh, well, you know what you're talking about the Mastercard event uh, in the '94 World Cup when I was working for ESPN. I remember. I got a number, it was number one, you had to take a um, a ticket and what order you were going to get to speak to Pelé in this event. And it was a crowded room and there was like 300 people he had to talk to. And you had about like a three, four minute window or something to talk to him to get like a little soundbite. And I have number one. I remember my producer, a woman named Maura Mant, she's like, we got number one, we're in line. I'm like, great. So we're going to get, I have my questions ready for um, for Pelé, unlike this show. And so I I stand there and as soon as they said okay he can start to talk to people now, the and I just the South American contingent came running in and mass and just like <laughs> stumbled over everybody it was a madhouse he finally could take no questions from anyone they had to kind of scurry him out out of there I was like okay I I, I have number one and I'm number zero right now yeah. so. All right, Sam, what are you over on OTB today?
2: Yeah, I'm just simply over the Europa League. Um, I know that's more low stakes than than Grails, but um, I was watching (laughs) yesterday and just, I don't know, I just got this depressing vibe off it. I really don't like the disconnect between these teams from smaller countries that are running out their full strength team versus a team from England or Italy or Spain that don't really take the competition seriously. I, I I just think it needs to be scrapped or they need to find a way to make it more exciting or a way to somehow tie it back into the Champions League, maybe like with a backdoor kind of way in. Yeah, it's uh, become
1: I, kind of the ugly stepchild, Sam, don't you think?
2: Yeah, I, I, I just don't know. Yeah. I don't get the point of it right now, and it seems like a wasted resource. So.
0: All right. All right. Well, there, Grant uh, Grail, there goes your uh, positive reinforcement. <laughs> yeah, well, let's bring it back down there. <laughs> yeah. right? I'm with, yeah. No, yeah, but let's bring it with. right, let's I'm, it right I gotta back say, down. I'm,
1: I'm with Sam because when I look through the TV listings, I get my Soccer America alerts, uh, nice plug for Soccer America. What's One on our TV sponsors? that day? And I get the Europa League stuff, Sam, and I just scroll right by it as if
2: it's like a, a past well, the don't...
1: sign on the highway at 85 miles an hour. F's I don't Europa watch
2: League. Yeah, I don't I don't watch the, you know, whatever the League Cup is now called in England, but I imagine it's sort it. of a similar vibe where you have almost the reserve team going out to play against yeah. another team. It's just it's just strange.
1: I mean, the only advantage uh Sam is that if you do win it, then you do qualify for Champions League the that's following true. year. That's but one But that's,
2: that's a that's big path. Yeah, but that's a big investment. And I yeah. mean, I I know a lot of teams are really frank. They're like, you know, I, I hope we get eliminated so we can yeah. we don't have to worry about. It. I mean, it's yeah.
1: It's the back it's the back door into the champions league but if you if you have no other route you know sometimes yeah. it's it's worth investing in it
0: yeah, right. yeah. so guys uh, today i'm over uh, a lack of american voices in the broadcasting booth i know uh, you know with the champions league happening there it's just it's just offensive to me at this point not not even a single american voice sitting there um at that table and i'm so happy cbs is doing this i think they're going to grow into this uh we're happy they're presenting the games but i think you got to put um you got to get an american voice on there to give us some a bit of american perspective because you know have my playing career was explaining america to to coaches from all over the place and you know the whole time i'm trying to watch the game i'm talking to one of my friends uh i don't know sam if you played with him kevin Knopf, he played at umass as well um but we're arguing politi- politically. Now I don't know if any of you guys are having these back and forths with certain friends on Twitter. You know, because I, I am. No. I I gave up. I uh, I know both of these brothers. Uh, his brother Jim was a baseball player at UMass, and. Um, and Kevin was a soccer player at UMass, but hey, they're they're from the uh, the other side, and I'm like, oh, I have to remind ourselves that uh, we're all Americans and we're all still friends. But uh, boy, politically, it's been very difficult, even in this time of COVID. Just uh, you know, arguing back and forth with the, you know fake news, you know, alternative facts, all this stuff. So anyway, at the end of the day, telling all Americans out there uh, have disagreements, but you don't have to be disagreeable. And I can say that my friend, uh, my friend Kevin Off, and I. Are keeping it that way but it can be very difficult so mm-hmm. vote on november 3rd if you haven't voted already everybody because it's really really important that your voice is heard uh and an american voice in the booth and an american voices in the polling booths as well so um all right guys so some other good news we're talking about american lives matter here uh domestic uh, not domestically but american players playing overseas some good stuff sam what are your thoughts on that
2: yeah, I'll just give you guys a little rundown. Pretty excited. I think we were all really looking forward to this Champions League getting started with more players, I think, than we've ever had. It's certainly at the at the top clubs. Um, the kind of surprise standout performance was East, Ethan Horvath for Club mm. Bruges, who came was an emergency starter in goal because uh Mignolet, the uh, former Liverpool keeper, had um COVID. So he jumped in there and had a great game against uh Zen at St. Petersburg for a two one win um Pulisic started for chelsea was Oh no off. wait though, hold on a second Go quickly on. horvath do you think grail that he has a shot uh
0: to replace zach stefan if he keeps this up or can
1: because I mean, people I'm...
0: say that stefan's the keeper right now but i i don't well, think... let's see let's see this was one this was one performance yeah. i mean yeah, i yeah. don't
1: know if he suddenly like leapfrogs a bunch of other guys but right. uh it was a great story. It was a feel-good story, no doubt.
0: Yeah, we've had him on the show before, and he was a, yeah. a good interview and a, yeah, good good uh, young American voice. Again, this is going to be my true oh, life through this, through this whole show. So, uh, all right, Sam, Pulisic.
2: Yeah, so Pulisic starts for Chelsea in their 0-0 draw against Sevilla. He was subbed off in the 90th minute. I'm guessing, Grail, you probably saw this match. Yeah. Um, I don't know how,
1: yeah, he was, how he remarkable
2: was. anything was.
1: It, and it was a nil all draw. I think that pretty yeah. much says
2: it all. <laughs> yeah. So he uh, has a great track
0: record, though. I mean,
2: they're... Yeah, yeah. they're always tough. Um, Sergino Death starts, plays the full match for Barca in their 5-1 win over Ferenc wow. Vados, the Hungarian Damn, was he team?
1: playing out of position again? Was he playing for Jordi Alba? I think he might have been playing left-back again. Um because uh, right back is his natural
0: position, correct. Well, you can play both though they say. Right yeah. right.
1: But I think he was playing, I think he was playing left back again because he did in the previous match too.
2: Okay. Um, Tyler Adams came on as a sub in the second half for Leipzig and their 2-0 win over Istanbul Basaksa here. Well, you got, that, you, got, right? you got
0: your word cut out for you today. Oh, Sam. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> thank Sam, God, you. you are not letting me. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Sam, you keep
1: pronouncing
2: the names Flinny, you be quiet. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Gio Reyna came on at halftime for Dortmund in their 3 1 loss to Lazio, hit a nice assist to Aland. Um, Weston McKinney did not play, was not part of the Juve side that played at Dinamo Kiev because he's still getting over COVID. And then, um, not a player, but Jesse Marsh's RB Salzburg drew 2 2 with Lokomotiv Moscow in uh, their match as well. So, yeah, that's the they Champions League rundown.
0: I like that you threw Jesse in there because he's a great head coach uh, and he's an American and <laughs> he's overseas. Oh, my God. Uh, and I love how you pronounce that, Lokomotiv. It's a locomotive, Moscow. Uh, I <laughs> how about that? <laughs> I'm a locomotive. That's what they used to call me in high school. So, yeah. Um, all right, so the score lines: uh, Lazio, Dortmund 3-1. Who saw that one?
2: Yeah, I watched yeah. that one. Um, I, I have some thoughts on this. I was very underwhelmed by Dortmund in this one. I was excited to watch Gio Reyna. I was hoping he would start, yeah. but he did not. He did play the whole second half, as I mentioned. He got an assist, um, I think, too. And... He got, yeah, he got a nice yeah. assist. But I, in general, I, I don't know. I, Lazio have made a really tough start to the season in Serie A. They're not that strong of a side and they won this pretty handily i did not see much resistance from dortmund um mm-hmm. and you know there's there's a stylistic issue you know when you watch a team play in the bundesliga as you watch dortmund do they everything looks really fast and physical and sharp mm-hmm. and everything and uh, lazio are more of a deliberate counter attacking side so there was a much slower pace to the game which maybe didn't suit dortmund mm-hmm. but I don't know for a team that's supposed to be stacked with all this young talent that's about to you know change world soccer i I was decidedly unimpressed. Um, i I have some statistics about Dortmund as a club that you know maybe we can get into in a little bit, but that's my main takeaway. I don't know if I if yeah I, well, you guys saw I mean,
1: Sam, do you think you know it's the classic case of youth can be really good and youth can be really questionable sometimes and, and maybe they just didn't come prepared. They thought they were going to just walk over Lazio because yeah, it was a very tepid performance. I mean, it wasn't like they
2: were even.
0: Did like Lazio just shut it. down and defend or.
2: Well, a little bit, but you, but not yeah. really. I mean, you think like, okay, a team that's Jordan's young and inexperienced. Just, I mean, at least they're all really fit and fast yeah. and they should have been closing guys down And lot. Laz- I mean, the Lazio players just had so much time to exactly. make decisions. And uh, I mean, I guess we can get into it now. I mean, I'm, you know, there was an article in the Guardian a couple of weeks ago asking, you know, is is Dortmund in fact a big club or are they just sort of this glorified feeder club? Um, you know, and the article very rightly points out that they've only won one trophy, which was a German cup since 2012. And I mean, I think it's a legitimate question. And it was sort of what I was left with after watching this game. And as the article describes, you know, this Dortmund way, which is basically... Can you guys, can you guys hear that? Did you hear that bell? That whistle—it's a ferry whistle. Uh, that's
0: okay. the locomotive. Uh, that's
2: for the ambient noise.
0: <laughs> locomotive Moscow is coming by my door right now. So, I didn't get. Right, I'm getting getting bo- sorry. Sorry, were Sam. you
2: getting bored of the sermon? Or no, it, I just uh, okay. no, no.
0: I just, I just. If you could actually hear the the foghorn whistle, I wanted you to. I wanted okay. to acknowledge it. So. It's like when a dog barks on these podcasts, you know, we're all yeah. shut yeah. in on our COVID location. So I'm sorry, Sam, I didn't mean so, to cut you. Know.
2: No, no, no problem. But but Dortmund, as this article points out, has sort of earned this reputation. The way they describe it is that, you mm-hmm. know, they buy young, they sell young, and they turn this fabulous profit. And there's, there's certainly no denying that. I mean, they've made just a ton of money off you know, selling guys that have... Lewandowski, Aubameyang, made... well, uh, Yeah, I mean, yeah. Ironically, Lewandowski left on a free transfer. Um, but oh, those ouch. other guys you mentioned... Ouch. yeah, uh, Yes, but, you know, my point is, is this, you know, that when you look at the young players that have left mm-hmm. Dortmund, they've not necessarily made that big of an impact where they've gone. You look at guys like Aubameyang, Lewandowski, Mkhitaryan, Hummels, you know, even Gundogan on Man City all those guys left when they were 25 or older, which I think in today's game, no one would consider young anymore.
0: That's your prime actually.
2: Yeah. Um, So, you know what Dorman's doing now are getting these guys that are 17, 18, and then selling them Mm. off when they're 20. And, you know, it could well be that when Sancho, when Bellingham, when Allen and Reina leave, they all go set the world on fire and they're all going to make a ton of money for, you know, Dorman. They're going to bring in a bunch of cash, but, If we look at players under 23 that have left Dortmund, it's not necessarily that rosy of a picture. So I'll just run through them. Number one on the list, top five most expensive departures under 23 years old. Uh, Dembele, the Frenchman who went to Barca Mm -hmm. at 20 for $143 million. He's He's currently valued at $55 million. So that's a drop of more than half in value. And yeah, it's just not been that good. He's 23 now. Pulisic sold to Chelsea at 20 for 70.4 million. He's currently valued at 66 million, uh, at age 22. So, I mean, I think the jury's still out. He's been good when he's played,
0: but Injury. he's gotta be injured. He, he yeah. was
2: a great pickup though. Yeah, I mean, no, I, I'm not saying, yeah. you know, it's not going to happen, but I don't think, you yeah. know, he's it's early still. Yeah. Um, right, okay. right, right. Mario Galtza went to Bayern at 20 for 40.7 million. Um, He's only twenty eight years old. Feels like he's been around forever.
0: Yeah,
2: Uh, he's currently valued at eleven point five five million. So that's a pretty big drop. There, he's now playing at PSV. Um, Yeah, I mean, his highlight,
1: Sam, was scoring the winning goal in the World Cup. Yeah, and you know, and then after
2: that, not a lot. He went to Bayern, and he had a few good years at Bayern. But I mean, I think to say that he's, you know. Filled, fulfilled his promise. I don't no. think what you can say. Um, yeah. okay, well, I think next- the, low light,
0: the low light for him was wearing a Speedo on a boat that they took pictures <laughs> yeah. of. And just, you know, <laughs> that constricts le- uh, blood flow and it probably um, lowered his career for a few years. So <laughs> I didn't even go ahead.
2: Okay. Next on the list, Abdu Diallo, a Frenchman who was sold to PSG um, at age 23 for $35.2 It's currently valued at $27.5 million a year later and he's basically just been a reserve at PSV. He hasn't even been a regular starter. Wow. Um, and this is the most interesting to me that the most successful player so far on this list is someone I hadn't even heard of. I'll see if you guys know him, but it's Matthias Ginter, a German mm. who was sold to Motion Gladbach at age 23 for $18.7 million. He's now 26 and he's valued at $35.2 million and is mm. a regular starter. So he's doubled in value.
0: Okay. But
2: I would guess that you guys probably – don't even know who that is. I've heard <laughs> I, I did. Solid, okay, yeah.
0: solid player. Yeah. I guess.
2: But um, so anyway, again, I'm 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 not knocking Dortmund in a sense, because they've clearly perfected this business model and it's making them a ton of money. Um, yeah. I just am wondering how good these guys really are when they when they leave.
1: So. Well, my guess my guess, Sam, is it might just be a wake up call game. You know, and they come out, and in their next Champions League game, they just blitz somebody, you know. No, that, that's absolutely true,
2: too. But yeah. I, I'm more interested in these, you know, these guys that have left and what, yeah. they've, what they've gotten up to. And, yeah, and uh, they've, just, they've, they've
1: just decided that's their business model. They're kind of like Tampa Bay in uh, Major League Baseball or the Oakland A. You know, there are a lot of these teams that just produce talent and end up shipping it well,
0: it's out. A money ball. Yeah. It's a money ball thing, yeah. Grail. But what, what Sam is saying is, is it – a reputation or is it real
2: that's and, the thing yeah i feel yeah. like these guys are you know reach almost their highest value when they're at dortmund and mm-hmm. just the fact that they're there as a young player um you mm-hmm. know just sees their reputation kind of go what's, through the roof. what's that
0: old saying if you uh if you get the reputation for being an early riser you can sleep till noon so maybe that's maybe that's what they're doing hey so um we get to watch a lot of these games and a lot of these players and you know for those of us who are a little older this is all new to be able to watch these games. I did not watch a lot of the uh, CBS Sports Galazzo coverage. Did you guys check that out at all?
1: Yes. Yeah. All right,
0: talk, talk to me about that. Well,
1: I'll give you my no time Americans. On.
0: No Americans on the – No, the
1: you know, what? and I and I decided I'm not going to come on and just start blasting away at these guys because, uh, to be fair, CBS CBS's coverage was accelerated by the fact that Turner Dropped essentially in. broke their deal halfway through. So CBS also was was thrust into this, you know, they made the bid, they got it like a year and a half in advance. So I feel like it's got the air of a mad scramble a little bit in terms of the hiring personnel and stuff. So I want to give them a pass that it's going to take a while for the chemistry to work.
0: Yeah, but Kate Abdel winds up in every one, whether it's Fox, right. whether it's TNT, whether it's CBS. But, but, it's like but, it's because they're all trying to recreate uh, Rebecca Lowe. But my point, but yeah,
1: so that's the standard in my mind by which everything will be measured, and they're nowhere near there. But uh, you know, I, I feel like uh, you know Nico uh, Cantor, who's Andres Cantor's son. I was not a huge fan of his. He is an American though, right? Isn't he American? Yeah. 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 So he
0: was, but he was with Univision. I don't know. Yeah.
1: Anyway, I just, I I would, I would give again, Sam, this is my take on the first Galazzo show that I saw a C Mm plus. I think it's got a lot of room for improvement and um, you know, it's kind of like almost NFL red zone, the way the whip around show where they're just uh, jumping in on games and I mm-hmm. would just rather have them back off. When you jump in on a broadcast, let the broadcast speak for itself. Because
2: mm-hmm. yeah, you don't know what you're talking about, studio, really. Right? Yeah, I, I, I agree. Yeah. I mean, I, I like the idea of the whip around coverage. Um, I thought it was cool how they had all the scores on the side. I liked that when a team scored, they would take you there and show you the goal, but not put it up on the scoreboard. So you still were kind of in the dark as to what happened.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but I, yeah, I muted it very quickly. Um Because you you just don't need to be talking, introducing the game, you know, just just get to it. You can just switch right to the game and have the announcers pick it up. I mean, yeah.
1: And it reminded me a little bit, Sam, of the Turner model, which was like a lot of inside joke discussions Mm -hmm. between the three people that were commentating from the studio on the action. And they were all very self-amused, but I I was kind of like, what are you even laughing at? None of this is remotely humorous. So
2: Yeah. I think you're just sort of, you're a director in that position and you're just going from one and all you need to say is, you know, here's Bayern Atletico. That's all it is. Right.
0: And um, Andres Cantor, I was on, I hosted Good Morning Texas one week and he was on the show and, a really great guy and a sweetheart of a guy. So I'm not, I'm not disparaging. No, I mean, I, he's a legend too. Plus you said, you said it was a C plus coverage. So I'll um, get
1: better. I'm, I'm again, I'm going to give him a pass because they just got to get everything flowing. correctly. Sure. sure. No, no,
0: you maybe. need a couple a couple games under your belt. Um, yep. But I was going to say C plus, uh, I would take that any day, my college years. All right, <laughs> let's, let's talk a little EPL. Uh, I really enjoyed watching the Everton uh, Liverpool game game. So uh, some crazy stuff happened. And I think, you know, Pickford should have been thrown out for the, for the, you know, that reckless, reckless coming out of the box. It was so reckless. Yeah. Yeah. It's,
1: you know, I love the English term, you know, clattering of, of like limbs. And it's so aptly described because Pickford came out with his, his legs up. Uh, Van Dyke was planted. So he was in a very precarious position and Pickford just made the decision that I don't care if I get the ball, I'm just basically yeah. taking him, taking him down, which he did. And again, no ramifications, uh, it a nine, a 1975
0: at, goalkeeping move. That's a, and just there like, is an out outrage.
1: The yeah. Like a week later, there's still collective outrage in kind of the soccer community that Pickford hasn't had any penalty, you know, and no red card retroactively, nothing. And meanwhile, Van Dijk's probably going to be out for eight months. Well,
0: here's the thing as a player and yeah. league wide, uh, a player who, like Van Dyke, who who plays clean and and plays uh, within his means constantly. That sort of tackle, reckless tackle. Next time you're in the box and Pickford's coming towards you, you're not you're not thinking he's going to play the ball fair. You're going to react differently, and I guarantee you, um, he'll get his comeuppance eventually.
1: Yep. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, and it, it 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 really changes the whole landscape of uh, of the title race because Van Dyke. The only other player I can say is more as important to his team is De Bruyne for Man City. When De Bruyne Mm -hmm. doesn't play, they really look different. Not having Van Dyke back there, as you guys know, because you played the game, that position is so critical because it's the link to the keeper and it's the link moving forward. And if you don't have that guy, very difficult.
0: I tell you what, too. um, You look at, like, I know you're you're Chelsea. You haven't brought it up yet, and Sam and I are very appreciative of that fact. (laughs) But I would say if you had a Van Dyke in Chelsea, oh, God. you guys are top of the league. So, you know, so, I mean, he solidified that, that great Liverpool team um, you know, with Allison and then and Van Dyke. I mean, so yeah, I think they're going to stay up high in the in the league, but I don't think they're going to dominate like they have in the past. Uh, even though this year's been really quite exciting and quite different. So, well, uh,
1: and, then, and then and then the insult to injury is Henderson scores the winning goal.
0: Oh, the ninety-first minute. And yeah, the
1: ninety. Yeah, the ninety-first minute in stoppage time, and they rule it offside. And again, for the life of me, I did not see how any part. Of that body was past right. the defender. Right. I, just, I, I don't
0: see so. it. And Everton didn't even protest uh, in the beginning, you know. So that's, yeah. that's the, the downside of VAR, unfortunately. So um,
1: I'm still a fan. I, I've got to say. I know there's a lot of argument, but overall, I still think it gets a lot more right, and it right's wrongs, and it does make some like VAR should have red carded, um, should have red carded Pickford.
0: That's okay, why yeah, you yeah, have we- it. We agree on that. And then Allison is still be out. He'll be out until October, but Van Dyke for six to eight months now with an ACL injury. So yeah, all right,
1: I mean, li- li- yeah Liverpool, Flinney, just is, you know, th- this is what did not happen to them last year. They were right. basically smooth sailing uh, some injuries here and there, but this is going to be a real test for
0: them. And they were having a blast. Sam, did you want to say something? I think. No, no we, go, no, we go to EPL and you suddenly shut down, like a, you go into a coma.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, hey. i didn't didn't see this one, so <laughs> all right.
0: um, Spurs, uh, that was a wild game, huh? First of all, Harry, <laughs> Kane, phenomenal, and so I was,
1: so I'm watching that game, Flinny, and they're coasting they're coasting along at three 0 and it's like, you know, talks of Spurs in the title race, and you, have, they yeah, yeah, crown yeah. them champions, the whole deal. And then all of a sudden, in the final twelve minutes of the match, out of nowhere, because West Ham is being thoroughly outplayed and dominated, West Ham scores three goals, the final of which they score in the 94th minute Amazing. by um, Lanzini that was just a thunderbolt into the upper corner. Oh, and my just, God, what a
0: rocket, yeah.
1: And I've got to say, I thought Mourinho was going to go nuts in the postgame. And he goes, right. this is what he says, it is football.
0: It is, it is well it is, it is football, i mean that's, yeah. you got to play 90 minutes coaches yep. say that to you all the time and you know that's what you you have to do and it's funny because Bale Bale looked rusty he looked unfit uh for game fitness even though he was subbed in on late you know he came he in came late man
1: he had a chance he funny. had a he great fleeced, chance he fleeced two defenders and then he just shot it wide he could have salted the game away it would have been a, a just a storybook ending
0: well, he did the left to right pull, you know, oh, in one touch, really and it was it was a nice move. And then, so he did the hard part, and yes, didn't finish up the uh, the easy part. Now, five matches into EPL season, who would have thought Everton and Aston Villa at the top of the table? Huh? Yeah, and For, we got
1: Villa and Leeds today, and that could put Villa. If Villa wins that they'll go. Oh top my of
0: God, cellar dwellers! Villa, yeah,
1: it, it is incredible because Villa. The Leicester story. Villa remained stayed up by a point um by the skin of their teeth last season they stayed up you know final match of the uh season and here yeah. they are leading the league they got some good young talent though so okay yeah
2: okay
0: cool so uh let's uh, let's wrap this up and we'll get uh, our guest on grant wall uh always love talking to grant so we'll be right back you listen to otb over the ball is brought to you by soccer america go to socceramericacom slash join and sign up for the Soccer America Pro membership. It's just $4.90 a month or $49 a year. And buy Ticket IQ, the simplest and cheapest way to buy tickets. Go to TicketIQ.com. And when it asks for the promo code, punch in OTB10 for $10 off of your purchase. Can't lose. All right, joining us now and Over the Ball. He is one of the top soccer journalists in the world. He is also the host of Football with Grant Wall. Guess who's here? Grant Wall. Grant, how are you? I'm
3: good. How are you guys doing?
0: Good. So uh, we're excited to have you. I want to get your thoughts on uh, the Champions League group stage. A lot of Americans represented. Uh, You know, one thing I'm talking about is now we actually have Americans on the field playing, but none in the broadcast booth. It's amazing. (laughs) It's amazing what's happened. Uh, What are your thoughts? It is interesting, isn't it? Um, Yeah, I mean, like,
3: I always have an issue with the word authentic because I think people talk about, oh, "Oh, you know, like TV executives often say this, too. Like, you know, we're going to have an authentic broadcast. And and typically they say that as a code word for not American. Uh, And obviously, if there are 10 U.S. men's national team players playing the group stage of Champions League, you know, an all time record. Americans are an authentic part of European soccer now at the highest levels. And, and so, uh, you know, obviously I, I uh, have a lot of respect for, for media people from other countries. It's everyone's game. But I think it would be great um, if we saw maybe a few more Americans on, on the broadcast for, for Champions League and Premier League and, and any league out there.
0: Yeah, you know, this is part of why I started this podcast was to say, you know, the, the world's game from an American perspective. I mean, it took up my whole life for twenty years, and um, you know, I feel like the college game, the youth, you know, level, the the you know now the you know Harksy getting into the Premier League, just the whole journey that we've taken as Americans. Uh, it that's our perspective. And and this is a game where so many kids play and uh, we have a professional league. Now we have so many people playing overseas and yet they, I, you know, and half the time I can't understand a third or two thirds of the panel and they're all amazing people and great players or former coaches or whatever. But you know, it's just a, uh, yeah, how about a how about an American doing some stories from the streets or something, some sort of representation? American lives matter, damn it. So I,
3: I will say this: that CBS did recently hire Nico Cantor, who's American, to do their Whip Around show. Uh, Andres Cantor's son, Andres, obviously a legend. Nico is is very promising in his own right. And uh, a friend of mine, Jenny, too, got hired by CBS, and they have her on the ground. They had her in Rome the other day for the broadcast, and have her in Madrid now. So.
0: It doesn't, uh, that, doesn't that smack more of nepotism? Because I love Andres Cantor. I understand it, but it's almost like Hollywood. I'm sick of that, too. Uh, yeah,
3: I, I'm going to actually push back strongly on that one. Uh, I, I know Nico. I know his work. And he actually has worked uh, at places that his dad did not work. You know, so he's been at Univision, where his dad hasn't been for 20 years. Mm-hmm. You know, his dad's at Telemundo. And now he's been hired by CBS. And I don't think CBS and Univision are going to hire somebody just because he's somebody's son.
0: No, but getting that first crack at a gig is, uh, you know, there's a lot of nepotism. It's like being a Bush or a Kennedy if you're trying to get into politics. It just, it just certainly helps you and opens the door. Um, you know, I said, like, you know, when I got into the indoor league, it was the really tough part was getting a coach to take a chance, an American player coming out of college for that first six months. That experience, that first bit of experience that you could get at that level to see if you could actually make the transition, so I always just say, oh, look how power to him, you know you know um good for him, he's probably grown up in the business, and he's probably fantastic, and you say he's a good guy. I think we're just talking about something bigger, which is you know get some Americans in the booth, man I, I think you when you were with Fox, they were really doing that. you know they had uh, Friedel and you know a bunch of guys that were were sort of um Americans, Rob stone, Lexi lawless, you know it was kind of nice.
3: That was one thing I thought Fox did a a really good job with. Yeah. And, you know, like John Strong, for example, is somebody who is actually a really young guy. He's very, very good at calling a game, but he's very well steeped in the traditions of American soccer that have developed over the last 20 years. And there are more John Strongs out there. I, I, I have come into a fair amount of contact with, college students people who are studying journalism now and the next generation i think we will see more john strong's because there are people who who want to become him uh, right. and and the other thing i'm curious to see is if we see we start seeing more smart ex-coaches because american soccer television has not had a john madden equivalent and now we see roberto martinez doing really good stuff uh, yeah for CBS. And I think I would love to see more Roberto Martinez's and more tactical discussion because I think soccer viewers in America are mature enough to handle it. They're not going to get bored. And, And Roberto Martinez is the best example of that.
0: Right. I think, you know, the Madden example would be Bruce Arena. Bruce, I thought was very good. He had an opinion. He didn't really care what anybody else thought. He threw it out there. Um, I enjoyed uh, listening to him. And when you you talk about uh, Strong, I really like his work. But John Strong, I feel like is a real American voice in the game. I feel like he's got sort of that British broadcasting influence in his, you know, he's watched enough soccer, you can kind of feel it. And I think that's what uh, you know, an American perspective brings certainly. You take all these other games that you've watched throughout the years; they go into your DNA, and and uh, and then, like that's a that's a great example. You know, the other thing is Grant. I see, like you know, my other career, which is you know comedy. You've got all these young kids are all doing comedy. They're they're actually majoring in comedy in college. <laughs> I'm like that is a waste of money, kids. Just uh, you got to get in that bar and sit in the back of the room and uh, write your own jokes. Right. But I think you're right. I think there's going to be a new generation of, you know, because America, I think does broadcasting uh, and I'm not being ethnocentristic with this. It's just, we, we know how to do sports broadcasting. We were the, we're the bigger, big ones, you know? Um, and I think for instance, for some reason, when it comes to soccer, everybody sort of doubts themselves.
3: Yeah. And, and I also think like not everybody has a, a sort of Anglo influence in the United States and in, in soccer. And so, um, you know, my influence is Latin American, mostly, you know, I spent a lot of time in Argentina over the years, I speak Spanish, and and I, I'd like to see maybe a few less of the sort of Anglo-influenced American soccer people get all of the jobs and more of the, the other influences that we have here in this very diverse soccer community in the United States, and just hope that people, when they talk about American, so-called American soccer people, that they remember that a lot of those American soccer people actually speak Spanish more than English or can speak both
0: languages. Right, right. That's a great point, you know, because you say we're 350 million people. Yeah, the Spanish league, you know, Syria, I, uh, the, the Premier League, everybody has their sort of league, but they're much smaller than us as a country. And we're everything. And the fastest growing uh, population in the United States is, um, is Asian too, as well. So it's like, you know, we're everything. Um, so anyway, so look, we'll get to some positive stuff here. We'll get to the players. Uh, what have you thought about the um, the Americans and their impact on the Champions League so far?
3: You know, we've had one match day. Uh, so right now, the big thing is just numbers. And, and then things aren't always going to go as expected. You know, the, the standout story for Americans and Champions League of week one was Ethan Horvath. And I don't think anyone yeah. predicted that because here's a guy who's not the top choice goalkeeper for Club Bruges. And uh, Mignolet, the former Liverpool goalkeeper, gets sick, and so uh, so Ethan Horbath ends up starting in match day one at Zenit. So Club Bruges, massive underdog, and ends up winning two to one away, and several great saves by Ethan Horbath. But he also not just totally unlucky he has an own goal equalizer to. to Make it one-one to bring Zenit back into the game fairly late. You know the the ball went off, the shot went off the post, and then he had dived. It went bounced off of him back into the goal. One of those things, and he was emotional after that game. You know, you could see it, and you know was interviewed the next day on CBS. and, And just from a story perspective, the more Americans that you have playing in Champions League, the more opportunities you have to create great stories like that. Even if you're not the biggest name, Ethan Horvath might not even get called in to the, the men's national team European camp next month. He might.
0: If he keeps playing like that, he perhaps will. You know? But this, this is like I said great with when you know the stories behind the players, it suddenly piques a lot more interest in viewership. Uh, and, you know, for Horvath, I was very impressed because, look, as a field player, if you're coming off the bench and you, you haven't been getting any minutes, uh, you can knock it around, play it simple early and, and kind of get your feet, get your confidence together. Goalkeepers, man, they, they struggle with that confidence because, you know, they they get a pass back to them and they've got a, you know, this new, this new way of coming out of the back. You gotta kind of thread the needle like Allison or something. And so I, I was quite impressed. And you could tell how emotional he was. Yeah, he was, he was pumped, man. He was he was up for the chance.
3: Yeah. And then, you know, you have other Americans, maybe more big, bigger names. Christian Polisic, you know, not too influential in Chelsea's tie at home against Sevilla. I was a little surprised that Tyler Adams and Gio Reina didn't start. For their teams because they've been starting, yeah. Most of the the domestic league games this season, uh, Reyna did come on at halftime for Dortmund, which lost uh, kind of bad loss at at Lazio. They lost three to one, but Reyna had a really nice assist to uh, to Holland, who he seems to assist Sam on- Sam
0: loved that by the way. He loves when Syria ah <laughs> uh, kind of kicks some butt <laughs> in Bundesliga um, butt.
3: Yeah, so I mean, like, in obviously Weston McKenney out. Uh, with COVID um, for Juventus. So he didn't play for Juventus. But, you know, I I think we'll see the Americans be more influential in the weeks ahead. And there's a lot of Champions League games in the weeks ahead. It's like three straight weeks for the first three match days, and then two weeks of international break, and then three straight weeks after that. So it's compressed a lot more uh, this Champions League schedule in the group stage this season.
0: So we're excited to be watching something to take our minds off what is happening, you know, throughout the world. So, uh, this is a a nice respite for us all. Uh, Grail, Grail and Grant, I get you two guys.
1: Hey, Hey Grant. Uh, do you think there's a tendency amongst all of us to overreact a little bit, uh, with the opening game, the opening outcome of any game in the group stage, just because, uh, generally the cream usually rises to the top and the the two teams that are the best usually end up at the top of the group. So I'm just curious what your thoughts, because there were some upsets and there were people like, Oh my God, it's the end of the world. I mean, one sort
3: of issue I, I I love champions league, but one issue I have is there's very little drama usually in the group stage The champions league only really gets good in February. Once we get to the knockout rounds, um, that said, occasionally we'll see uh, the group stage produce some surprises, but just mm-hmm. not that many. I guess my question this year, is there any chance that we might see more surprises in the group stage than typically just due to COVID, the very compressed schedule, all the games that are being played? Uh, it, it's just a like there's so much wear and tear on players over this three-month stretch that you're gonna see i think more injuries than than yeah. usual and and how our teams going to be able to handle that you know so uh it sounds like cristiano ronaldo is going to miss his showdown with messi next week uh cristiano's got covid missed the first match day um and so we'll see you know i mean like but i, I do think you're right I, I i think people tend to overstate results from the first match day and, and make too big a deal about that. And, and, you know, the the teams, there's a reason why the draw is set up the way it is, and it usually produces the two best teams advancing.
1: Yeah, and I, I just thought, you know, Man United being beating PSG at PSG wasn't that big a deal. I mean, that was entirely possible that that could happen, and now people are basically writing PSG off Yeah, after I, one I, game, you know? I wouldn't, Yeah, I wouldn't do that if I were yeah, people... <laughs>
0: I think it's an odd year though, guys, too, because of COVID and, and you know, you looked at the way Liverpool dominated early, got tired towards the end of that run. Um, the The training schedules are all off, uh, you know, players' recovery times are all off. And so, you know, this will be interesting to watch as it moves ahead. Sam, you have a question yeah, for Grant?
2: Uh, Yeah, Grant, building off what you were saying about the, you know, Champions League not getting excited for, sighting for a while. I'm curious what your take on the Europa League is. Um, Where, you know, I kind of feel like it's this forgotten tournament that to me has a lot of potential because I think they could do something with it, make it a little more interesting, maybe a knockout tournament from the start. And uh, I just wonder, you know, with the Champions League dominating so much and, you know, the EPL doing the same, is there not potential for some of the smaller leagues, other tournaments to sort of differentiate themselves a little bit? You know,
3: Rory Smith, who's terrific with the New York Times, wrote a column a few months ago, maybe a month or two ago, just making some suggestions about what to do with Europa League that I thought would be really cool and might get people to be more interested in Europa League. Um, Just because I, I think potentially having like a single elimination tournament. Uh, instead of a group stage might be a fun way to go and might create more possibilities for giant killers to advance. If it's a a knockout tournament or to go back toward what the European cup was like pre champions league, even through the seventies and eighties when it was a a single elimination tournament. Um, I wouldn't mind that. Like for me, Europa league, I'll watch it occasionally But it's a little bit like the championship to me in England. I've got only so much bandwidth, even as someone who covers the game professionally, on how many things, how many leagues I can keep up with. And so, over the years, the championship and the Europa League have sort of taken a backseat to other competitions for me. And 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 I think fans might say that too, unless you're a fan of those clubs. Um, You know, it's. I'd like to see something change with with Europa League. Um, and we'll see if, if UEFA is willing to do that. I've, I'm slightly surprised lately that UEFA seems to be willing to make or consider at least changes to its formats. Like what we're seeing now is them saying that this... Like what we saw in August with the uh, the single elimination Champions League knockouts, that final eight in Lisbon where everyone was in the same city. And it wasn't two yeah. legs for the quarters in and the, and the semis. Actually, UEFA is considering changing to that starting in 24 uh, when the next TV deal goes in. And that would be interesting to me. I'm slightly surprised because it would seem like fewer games would mean less revenue, but maybe it wouldn't.
0: Yeah, you know, I mean, t- to me, it seems like with Europa League, it's almost the writing's on the wall. I mean, they're trying to, you know, they see the writing on the wall and they want to try to figure out how to maybe to change to make themselves more relevant as everything moves forward. I mean, Sam and I uh, and Grail, we're all talking about the Super League, you know, this talk about that. Um, what are your thoughts on that one?
3: You know, I try not to like, totally dismiss it, but yeah. like I, on Twitter, I asked like how long have these European Super League proposals been out there. Was it, did they start like 1998, 1985? And someone actually sent me on on Twitter uh, a, a passage from a famous book from 1968 when they were talking about the formation potentially of a European Super League. And so this has been talked about for over 50 years, and it's never happened. And my sense all along, and we see these stories come out all the time, is that what, 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 usually happens is there's a threat to do this from some big clubs. Right. And then concessions are given and it becomes a negotiation because you're never going to get the full super league. And so the concession we saw a couple of years ago was that the top four teams in the biggest four European leagues all got automatic passage to the group stage of champions league. And that hadn't happened before. That was a concession. Um, my friend Gad Marcotti wrote a story. He thinks it's actually more likely that it might happen now than before to go to a European super league, just given really? the financial situation that's been accelerated by COVID this year. Um, but I still don't see it. And I think more likely is that we'll see more concessions being made. And 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 that doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. Like I for like one thing that I think maybe is more palatable to Americans and less to Europeans, like we saw them try to push to get Champions League games on weekends and move domestic league match days more to midweek. And I I know why everybody in those countries doesn't like that idea. Mm. I don't mind it. I wouldn't mind it. And yeah. I, I'll, I'll get yelled at, but, you know, wouldn't you love to see, you know, like, ha- like several windows on a Saturday and Sunday for UEFA champions league?
0: Yeah. We wouldn't leave the house. Yeah. <laughs>
3: you know, um, yeah. It, it would be pretty amazing from a global yeah, yeah.
1: perspective, I think. Grail. Yeah. Grant the, maybe the biggest story in the last week was the uh, injury to Virgil van Dyke. And um at the hands of Jordan Pickford. It sounds kind of like a murder, but that's almost what it was. I'm the just legs, curious what your thoughts are what your thoughts are on the ramifications of that injury and how it could really change the title race uh, in, in the EPL.
3: I mean, it's it's huge potentially. Um I don't you know, it's not a coincidence that Liverpool only started actually winning European Cups, Champions Leagues, and the Premier League once they got Van Dyke and Alisson yeah. and, and really upgraded those positions, those tremendously important positions in the spine. Yeah. And so now the big question is, is Fabinho potentially somebody who can be good enough to keep Liverpool in the race or consistent in, in enough, England. really?
0: That's that would be my question. Because like, he can do it, but can he do it for long stretches of time? And the right. way Van Dyke does it with like effortlessly, apparently, you know.
3: Yeah. So that, that's the big question, and and yeah, you know, you've got Joe Gomez, you've got Matip, you've got Fabinho, and now we'll find out. You know, and, and it's really unfortunate because it's not like Van Dyke was injured in a in a. Play that should have happened, or it was sort of like, like yeah. this was a this was a, a really uh, borderline dirty play. It was egregious, no doubt by, about it, that- by, by, by Pickford. Um, yeah. And so that colors my view a little bit as well. And and I think so far, in what Van Dyke has said publicly, I, I admire him not saying that because he could have been more bitter publicly at his crosstown rival for a cheap shot.
1: Yeah, Yeah, and and I think, I'm sorry, just quickly to follow up on that. Um, It also shows that, you know, Liverpool was virtually injury-free last season. And uh, when you lose a player of that magnitude, it just changes the whole um, landscape. Balance. The, ba- the balance, and, and their back five, if you include Allison in that number, was just impenetrable, right? And and now it's like, what what are they going to do next? So.
0: But look at, you know, when Henderson was hurt as well, that threw off the balance of what was happening. They weren't as effective for a while there. You know, uh, Thiago might... Change that dynamic. I thought it sort of started to work in the midfield a little bit last week. But for me, uh, Grant, it reminded me of the old goalkeeping, which was like they got away – they would just foul with impunity if you were in their box. Um, You know, I remember in college there were always, you know, almost fights all the time because a goalkeeper would come out, punch people in the face because they – oh, I'm going for the ball. It's like you weren't even near it. Uh, You know, Pickford, I know what he did. He was coming at a guy that's huge. And he's like, you don't go in at half measure – if you're going to go in at Van Dyke, he went full speed. It was reckless, and the fact that even with VAR, you can't retroactively throw a red card at that guy—it's absurd. Just imagine, you know, because there was the offside call that wasn't called, and then, well, you know, like I said, what if you just punched somebody in the middle of that play? Oh no, well, there was no call made, so you know, that punch isn't 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 a red card and you know infraction. It was it was absurd.
3: A couple of things I would say. Uh, one i totally agree i think goalkeepers are protected way too much by officials during games and not enough fouls on goalkeepers are called in the box Mm -hmm. they they're they should be just like any other player it should be as if they were committing a foul somewhere else on the field outside the penalty box um and and also too like it was very you felt a sour taste in your mouth about VAR again in that game, because you saw that VAR did not do anything to correct this obvious red card that Pickford should have gotten, and then did change the game on one of these Microns offside situations on Henderson's game winner and took it away. And so you're like, well, what's, what's VAR there for? And And I know that like this whole like clear and obvious lingo doesn't supposedly doesn't apply to offside, which is like a binary, either you're offside or you're not offside or like a goalkeeper having his feet, you know, two inches off the line on a penalty. I at this point would prefer that VAR not be used for offside and not be used for goalkeepers having their feet one inch off the line on a penalty and just let, let the AR be on that one, on those, like those are human calls. And, and I would prefer that. And then keep VAR for other clear and obvious things.
0: No reason for your linesman. If you're, if you're going to just continue to use VAR and not, not depend on the linesman and you know, that, that game winner, or should have been a game winner. It's like, wow, I don't think anybody who's played this game would have called that one back. You, you know, no, really, really Everton
2: was asking for it. Right. Yeah. So um, Sam, yeah, um, sticking with EPL and also on the Super League tangent, um, I'm curious your take on the Project Big Picture proposal from this past week in the EPL, and especially the angle that it was kind of driven by these two American owners and you know what the sort of reaction is like to American sporting ideas maybe seeping into the European game a little bit.
3: Yeah, I mean, it was interesting that it crashed and burned as quickly as it did. And I thought this big picture proposals had some good aspects. I think it would be better to have 18 teams instead of 20 in the premier league, like that 18 teams in the Bundesliga.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, so I think that's good. I think providing bailout money, large amounts of it for teams below, you know, leagues below the premier league. That's a good thing. Um, the problem is, is that, In exchange for that, you know, the the big clubs in the Premier League would get more and more power, and so it made it look like a self-interested thing that they were doing. And so, yes, they should be bailing out the EFL clubs. Um, You know, other parts of the proposal, I'd love to see the League Cup go away, and the reason the League Cup hasn't gone away is because it provides revenue for the EFL teams. Mm -hmm. Um, So... I, there's there's some good aspects of it, but I think you could enact those good aspects without having to embrace the negative aspects, the self-interested aspects for for the big clubs. I don't think this is necessarily an American thing. Um, you know, like there's a lot of foreign ownership um in in the Premier League at this point, um, from from lots of different countries, Russian oligarchs, UAE, uh so, yes, there are Americans. And yes, I'll probably sound like Jesse Marsh here saying that Frank Lampard uh wasn't giving Polisic a fair shake at first because he was American. But I, I think there does exist still uh a sort of resistance in England to American influence in what they view as their game. And I think there's more of a resistance there, not from everybody, but there is more of a resistance there. To Americans than to other foreign influence,
0: right? right. Yeah, and they don't like it. We're a former colony, Grant. They, they just didn't, uh, they don't like it's,
3: it. it. It's, it's funny the way it works, but like I think that's that's still there,
0: right? And also, you know, you you look at the top coaches in the Premier League, and they're not English, so it's sort of uh, always interesting to me to watch that. So, um, uh, Grail, uh,
1: yeah, just uh, unwinding that a little bit more, Grant. Um, where does where does it go where does that project i mean where does that go big picture go from here does it just basically we start from scratch again and can those big six that appeared to be doing a bit of a power grab gain the respect in terms of moving forward with some kind of other proposal
3: Maybe I mean we see these proposals. It seems like almost with some regularity now. Right, every year uh, every six months. And and everyone's sort of jockeying for position. I, I I think one thing that's pretty clear is is that the the Premier League clubs don't really trust each other <laughs> much at all.
0: <laughs> you got uh, an, ol- an oligarch in there. Uh, in there.
3: And they don't necessarily trust their own TV broadcasters much. And there's not very good communication between the Premier League teams. Mm-hmm. And it's all a little chaotic and, and it seems very self-interested. And so um, it, it's kind of like the old discussion where like, the Premier League is kind of like the Wild West compared to MLS is like Marxism for soccer. Mm-hmm. And it kind of is like the opposite of what the actual countries general systems are like you know like you know soccer socialism is here in america the mm-hmm. wild west is europe and that's a, a bizarre aspect of soccer i guess
0: marxism and socialism we're back at the debates uh <laughs> I, hey so um grant let, let me talk to you about this um what you take on the glut of goals uh, epl in syria uh, you know we've been talking the last couple of weeks about defending how it's sort of changed and um people teams seem a bit more porous is it more effective offensive player do you think it's just Basically poor defending. I think it's the modern game. And yeah.
3: it's one big aspect of the modern game is, you know, how are fullbacks used, for example. And the best teams in Europe are ones like Liverpool, whose fullbacks get forward, both of them, like a lot. Um,
0: Classic wingers. basically. Yeah. And
3: so like that's, uh, you know, I get into this in my book, Masters of Modern Soccer, a lot It is just – looking at what does the modern game mean in, in all of its different facets and and that includes like there's very like even the center back chapter i have on on Vincent Company he talks about this there he thinks there are fewer truly transcendent center backs now than there used to be 10 15 20 years ago
2: mm-hmm. and
3: part of that is because a great center back now is required to not just defend at, a, at an extremely high level, but to be a very big part of the attack, and and be good on the ball, and nice. be willing to to step up and and even you know break lines with passes. And, and, and in Company's case, even dribbles. Like, and that makes pure defending more difficult. And so teams are, are more willing to concede goals, and. But because they think they can outscore other teams, and, and from an, up. yeah, from an entertainment perspective, that that's, that's kind of good. good. I enjoy that. Right. Um, and and yet the the classic Paolo Maldini, center backs are are fewer and far
1: far between. Yeah,
0: it well, seems I, like a center back is now a uh, center midfielder, really. So yeah,
1: uh, yeah. Grant, just case in point, that Spurs match when they were up three nil against uh, West Ham and conceded three goals in the final 12 minutes or whatever. I mean, who would have ever thought a Jose Mourinho team could possibly let that happen? But, right. you know, case in point of kind of how the game is changing. That game was 3-0 in like the 82nd minute. Yes. Like, yes. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, and so
3: for – yeah, for a Mourinho team, as you say, like this is the guy that is no more than any other manager in the world for for shutting things down.
0: And a lot, even his team
3: is, is doing that. So um it's uh it's a different game. Uh mm-hmm. and and so I still feel like if you're Chelsea, for example, during the transfer window, you were like, wow, they're having an amazing window, but it was just for their attacking
0: mm-hmm.
3: output. And you know, they signed Thiago Silva on a free And he just turned 36. And he's already started to show that he may not be a great fit for the Premier League. And I'm still surprised that Chelsea didn't get or, you know, didn't get Declan Rice didn't get uh, Jimenez from Atletico Madrid. I'm a little disappointed that they didn't get like a Jan Oblak to replace Kepa. um, And instead got Mendy, who's a decent goalkeeper, but not viewed as like a top ten goalkeeper in the world. You know, Kev is terrible. By the way, I, I, that guy
0: just—he's in his got, head, man. He's
3: got the yips, basically. Yeah. But, um, but like, what's the point if you're Chelsea of spending that much money on, on, on Havertz, on Werner, on Ziyech, on all of those great attackers, if? you're not going to upgrade obvious deficiencies in your
0: defense. Right. And that's where they always break down. I mean, they play so well. And then, it, you know, either coming out of the back and then, and then actually defending that is where Chelsea struggles, I think. And every week I think of uh, grail just punching his wall in his living room. <laughs> so, Hey, let me ask you this, uh, Grant. I saw one of your tweets about uh, you watched, I think you binge watched Ted Lasso on uh, Apple TV. Did you watch yeah. it? Yeah. I, watched,
3: I watched all 10 episodes in a weekend.
0: You know, and I thought it was very interesting because when I saw that kind of football old guy that, uh, you know, used to yell at me when I was a kid for not playing American football and I was playing a commie round ball game, um, I thought, oh, this is going to be, this is going to annoy me, the the ignorant American. And then, you know, the Europeans will see this, the English, and that's why they treat somebody like Bob Bradley, like the way they did, because it's just this this perception of us. Um, But I'm getting ready to watch it this week and I'm going to binge watch it, but – I've heard really good things about it from soccer people.
3: It's it's fascinating to me because the actual premise of the show, it should be terrible.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: It really should be. <laughs> like, you should be shaking your head and be like, there's no way this is ha- this has any chance to be good. And must have,
0: been, must have been like the pitch meeting at Hogan's Heroes. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> really, this is it, not going to make it...
3: <laughs> it, it. It's incredible how good it is. Like, really. it's... And I've tried to think about why that's the case. And it's interesting because my non-soccer loving friends also really like it. Oh, great. Um, And it's the soccer hardcores that probably most of all shouldn't like it because like it's the soccer scenes, the action scenes are not that great. Like that's, but, and yet That doesn't seem to matter because like the rest of the show in the way it's written is just as good as it is and it has very little to do with the the ted lasso skits that we saw a few years ago that nbc did right and i I think what ends up happening is the characters are are really good and compelling and and it's just a very sort of positive without being like fake
0: about it. Exactly. type. Act.
3: Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and it's just, it's just so well done.
0: That's good. Yeah. I want to watch that. And you know, it's funny too, you mentioned the action whenever they shoot soccer action, it never ever works. It always is mind boggling to me, especially too when they do these kids movies where you can tell it's a director who's never played the game. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, trying to think of when, I've seen a movie, like maybe Victory, you know, with uh, uh, Michael Caine. Contrived. And well, maybe, no, the, no, no, maybe not the story, but the action. Yeah. Ar- Ardiles and all those guys, you know, they were really – they they shot it really well. I felt like I was in a game.
3: They put a lot of effort into getting – trying to get the the soccer scenes right. It helps if you have Ozzy Ardiles and Pelé and, and those yeah. guys. But, like, they still had to get Sylvester Stallone to, <laughs> to do goalkeeping. And, and actually, there's a hilarious quote recently from Ardiles – to like Argentine radio talking about like having to do like forty or fifty takes with
0: Stallone <laughs> back in the day. Just <laughs> that was like... just that was just the speaking lines. <laughs> uh, 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 there's a there's nutmeg. <laughs> nutmeg. It was a nutmeg <laughs> and,
3: and there was a time actually uh, I did a Sports Illustrated article at one point where I looked I, I watched a bunch of Hollywood movies about different sports and pointed out just all the little things they got wrong. And I remember like, you know, seeing Leo DiCaprio in the basketball diaries and just like the million things that they got wrong basketball wise Mm -hmm. in that movie. And it's, it's pretty uncommon for Hollywood to get it right. I guess what's interesting about Ted Lasso is, is that they don't really get the soccer right. And yet it's still
1: really good.
0: It doesn't matter. Cause it's a comedy. Maybe that's the people, the, the bars. I thought have,
1: they got uh, it right with a uh, miracle, you know, about the 1980 U S yeah. team. I thought that it was really good action. Yeah. Yeah.
0: No, good. stuff. all right, Grant, what do you got coming up on your, um, on your podcast? Anything? To- you know,
3: it's funny. Like I just got a yes from Jason Sudeikis. And Brendan Hunt oh, to uh, to come on soon here. So Jason we, Sudeikis actually went to my rival high school in Kansas City, uh, same high school that Paul Rudd went to, Shawnee Mission West. I went to East, and uh, so very much looking forward to having those cool. guys on. Um, tell, him,
0: tell him I said hello. I met him on the um, the set of uh, Hall Pass with nice. the, the Farrelly Brothers. Yeah, so uh, he's a good hang.
3: And then um, you know, like when I approach getting a guest for, for my show
0: mm-hmm.
3: um, I, I, I take some home run swings and, and I also, you know, you know, maybe like one out of 20 of those gets a yes. And so you have to put in a lot of effort for that. Um, and then there's other folks in the U S soccer community. I like having on or, or internationally, I try and have a good mix men's and women's, you know, we had Becky Sauerburn on recently, who's just mm-hmm. a terrific interview. Um, and so I, I got different, you know, different lines out. Uh, we got Jurgen Klopp to come on the show. Uh, and that certainly helps when you're trying to persuade others, but like, as you guys know, uh, when you want to get an interview guest on for a podcast, you're asking for anywhere from 20 minutes to 45 minutes. And that's not a small ask when it comes to. Some of the biggest figures in the game, you know
0: Jurgen Klopp. I got for like 15, which
3: is mm-hmm. a lot for him. Yeah. Which is
0: a lot for him. We're we're uh, trying to get Jurgen Klopp's dry cleaner on the show. That's <laughs> who we're trying to get. So you are actually you are our home run ask, Grant. <laughs> you oh, yeah. are, we you love are Grant. Our home run ask. We we love having you on. Uh, as I said, I said uh, preeminent, but I can't quite say that word all the time correctly, so I rarely use it. But I use it for this guy, uh, Grant Wall, and uh, check out his podcasts football with grant wall grant thanks so much pal for joining us on otb my pleasure hey remember to tweet us at over the ball like us on facebook and instagram and write a review in fact make us one of your favorites it makes a big difference ah oh, great so he's getting caught up with uh, with grant wall i uh, yeah, am i love his perspective on things guys and uh, sam hey did you get your answer for the big prize uh... Big picture project there? Project big uh, picture?
2: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I, I didn't know about the, you know, the sort of rumblings about the super league going back to the fifties or the sixties, whatever he said. It was. Uh,
0: you're a young, so, you're a young man. Stan. Yeah.
2: <laughs> that was interesting. Um, my, the point I wanted to make about the, the project big picture and the super league in general is that, um, you know, the, the, the power grab that people are sort of describing in the premier league amongst the big teams. I mean, I think people need to remember that the Premier League itself is basically founded on a power grab by the big teams, mm-hmm. uh, you know, moving away from yeah. the, the whole you, you know, English Football Association to form their own league, negotiate their own TV contracts, etc., which is a lot of what these clubs now want to do again. So I think people sort of like to see the Premier League as this thing that's like existed since you know, the 1600s. But um, I think it's important to remember that it's evolving and, um, you know, that's its history. And it's only been that way since, you know, the nineties, 92. Um, Yeah. And two, Mm -hmm. in terms of the super league, I, I don't know how I feel about its inevitability, but another point I wanted to make is that, you know, again, it's just the natural progression of things. I mean, Germany, for example, used to have regional leagues and then they made the Bundesliga, you know, to bring all those leagues together. Italy used to be the same way. There used to be a North and a South league and the winners would play each other. Then they made the Serie A to cover the whole country. Um, So I, I, that's just another thing to keep in mind that this is the progression that has always been. As always guys,
0: it's follow the money. It seems so, uh, you know, and if certain teams get all the, the wealth, then it, it won't be a fun uh, you know, there'd be no parity, and, and already in the premier league, there's just, you know, you got the bottom dwellers every year. They're just hoping to stay in the, the, the bottom third, you know, the upper part of the bottom third. And then they're happy with that. And so it's just an odd for an American. It's an odd sort of, you know, look yeah. um, and you can see these big owners, they want to make money. So um, yeah, yeah. we want to see good soccer and good domestic leagues. Well,
2: ironically, a Super League, you know, there would be quite a good amount of parity if you took mm-hmm. the top 18 teams in Europe. You would, mm-hmm. There would be no parity between those teams and, you know, the smaller teams. But I guess it depends right. how you look at it.
0: All right, so what do you got for us to uh, – you got a lot of numbers there, uh, Sam. You should have been an accountant. <laughs>
2: yeah. You uh, ever think about that? <laughs> not yet. Um, right. Anyway, I got the games of the weekend per 538, one per league, so it works out pretty well. Unsurprisingly, Barca Real is at the top of the list. That's Saturday at 10 a.m. Oh, yeah. I gets a rating of 93. Uh, Man United-Chelsea on Saturday at 1230. That's two on the list at 73. Right, Milan-Roma. Uh, in Serie a, Monday, 3.45 p.m., uh, that gets a 72. And then finally, Bayern against Frankfurt, Saturday, 9.30 a.m., that gets a 70. So, again, they rank those based on the strength of the teams and the importance of the game versus the overall league picture.
1: Yeah, I mean, Barca versus Real Madrid is really interesting just because of the, p- the place that both of those clubs are in right now. It makes it a little more fascinating because Real Madrid is just playing really badly. They lost oh, in, in Champions League. Um, and, uh, and Down 3-0, and, right? And, and, and Barca, you know, won convincingly in their first match of Champions League. But, you know, they have Bar- all the Barca issues that are f- flowing around that that uh, whole organization. So it'll be an, an interesting uh, classic. I'm going to go with Barca 2-1. That's my prediction. How about you guys? Well,
0: that sounds like a good one because, I mean – you know real madrid came out so poorly this week um, yeah down three nil so quickly it was like wow you know i don't know if they just weren't playing in front of they weren't in their home stadium uh no fans no energy they just seemed lethargic guys they, weren't tracking back it was really it was like a training session they really guys went after
1: like, zidane the press really went after zidane for like his tactical decisions and effort things like
0: that. effort is not a tactical decision right, right? Guys, you know, run by them, not staying with their man. I mean, basic def defense yeah. principles that were like you could see from up above watching the TV screen. Well, Guys and they are...
1: lost, and they lost, you know, five six days ago to Cadiz, which is a very low level team in yeah. uh, La Liga. So they're just they're going through a rough patch. We'll see what happens.
0: All right. Um, so any quiz, Sam?
2: Yeah, I got one quiz question for All you. Right. This is courtesy of Paul Kennedy at Soccer America. So oh, okay. we love Paul. If you've read this article, you already know the answer. But um, Christian Pulisic is the only American player to have played in four straight Champions Leagues. In fact, he's now made it five straight because he played yesterday or this week for Chelsea. Uh, So who is the only other American player to have played in three straight Champions Leagues?
0: I'm going
1: to go with Brian McBride.
0: Friedel? Dempsey Howard uh, so, <laughs> nice that's my three for well, one you want to pack. just
1: rattle off a bunch of names or pick some those
0: are the only ones I know so I went with everyone what
1: are you, do you have a phone book in front of you
0: what's <laughs> going on throw it in the blender
2: <laughs> so you, the so I mean I, I'm gonna this isn't fair because I didn't know this but what you got to think about is to be in the Champions League three years in a row you have to be on a team that is pretty consistently right, right, you know, right at right. the top of their league so the answer is such a question Str- Str- Oh, so that's a question. For, oh, for Anderlecht. For, for Anderlecht. Oh. Anderlecht. Oh. i never really gotten that. From 2012, 2013 to Oh, I remember. He actually,
0: he actually sent a note out to, um, well, it was sort of to, uh, what's his name? Klinsman saying, hey, are you watching? Because he was playing well. Um, yeah. And you know, wasn't quite getting his due when he came home. Yeah, across the pond. So, yeah. well, that's a good one. Wow. You know, God, what what's amazing to me like... is, you know, and I've talked about this before in the show, guys, where we had, you know, Claudia Arena and Harksy and one uh, and all the Tab Ramos. They stuck around for so long that you knew the players, you knew everything was happening. So many players change now and their, their time to be somewhat pertinent on an international level seems so short that you kind of forget. You know, it's like, Sasha, great player, kid out of Seton Hall. It's a, it's a great, great success story here. And, like, here we are drawing blanks on it already. So, uh, yeah, yeah. But, um, so, guys, let me ask you this question and see what you think. Between now and the end of the season, who do you think will emerge as uh, the preeminent young American player in Europe? Because we've got some choices now. I'm gonna go with Gio Reyna.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Is he 18 yet? Even? I yeah, might. I'm. He um, was.
1: I'm gonna go with Reyna or Dest. Um, one of one of those two. Because um, again, Polisic, I'm just worried about him staying injury free.
0: I think we all are. I mean, he's yeah. a fantastic player, but he's sort of sp- spindly built. Um, an, an amazing athlete, great player. Uh, yeah, he just I hope. I hope he stays healthy. Grail, you and I talked about this before, like that, yeah. that messy sort of Barry Sanders, um, you know, stockily built to take all that abuse, especially in the premier league, um, is, yeah. is a guy who can give you some longevity, that sort of body type. Exactly. So anyway, we hope, uh, he's more
1: of a Michael Owen, you know, and we know what happened to Michael Owen. Which oh,
0: was, let's hope that doesn't happen to Christian. Yeah.
1: So, Owen. Hey guys, before we go, I just want to, I want to leave us on what with one great quote from the, uh, the philosopher, Jurgen Klopp. Okay. Um, I will try to do this in a slight German accent, and I'm waiting oh, for no. plenty to <laughs> criticize me, <but laughs> yeah, this that is about, me. This is about the Virgil van Dyck injury. This is a little context. We will wait for him like a good wife who is waiting when the husband is in jail.
0: We will be waiting for him like a good wife will be waiting for a husband in jail.
1: <laughs> exactly. Interesting. I'm like, Okay. I go, well, that's, that's cheerful. Uh, I mean, is that, I don't is that some know. German
2: proverb? I don't
1: know, but it, it seems like such a throwback, like the idea of a, a wife waiting around for her husband who's in jail. I mean, there's well, so Well That, that, that
0: reference is a little outdated, exactly. but the only way, I, the way I would update that one also too, to say, you know, he's in jail for a crime he did not commit Van Dyke. There you go. Pickford. The wrong man was put in jail here for that. Pickford, I just
1: found that very humorous of all the things you could talk about. You're referencing somebody's jail time.
0: And dude, that German, man. Klopp doesn't even sound that German. No, are, I know. That, know. That,
1: was, that was like Colonel Clink. I apologize. About, you
0: are very a Hogan. Yeah, exactly. I know nothing. <laughs> Sam doesn't know any of these references. Sam, did you no, ever see Hogan's same. Heroes? No.
1: You never don't, did. Don't Unbelievable. mention – Hey, Flitty, don't mention the Mod Squad or the Courtship of Eddie's Father or oh, any of those shows, no, please. No,
0: no. Yep, we're drawing it. All right, guys. Well, uh, good show today. It was great to talk to Grant Wall, as always. Uh, so insightful on everything. And uh, a lot of football out there this weekend. America, uh, not American football, but, uh, but our football. The world's game from an American perspective. Uh, thanks to Grail Hallett and Sam Griswold. I'm Kevin Flynn. We'll talk to you next time on O-T.